Turn to 2 Thessalonians, if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 6. After a couple of weeks break, and I want to express my great appreciation for Jim Jackson in preaching, bringing God's Word to the congregation uh, while I was gone. But we are picking back up with 2 Thessalonians coming down to the close of this incredible letter. And uh, I'll read this in just a few moments. Paul was addressing a very specific problem in the church at Thessalonica. Like a lot of preachers, I'm sure he felt, I've already addressed this problem, and it didn't get fixed in the first letter. And even when he and Silas were with them, he talked about it. Maybe you haven't heard a sermon like this on this particular topic in a while, but it is and has been and will be a problem in the church and in culture. Why? Because of our fallen human nature. So while very specific to the church, it has general application to everyone, young and old, male, female, Jew, Gentile. So here, after addressing it when he was with them, and then in the first letter, he comes back and addresses this situation not only more forcefully, but also more at length. So picking up in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 6, we'll read through verse 15. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Father, I thank you for your word, how it speaks to every area of life. I'm not sure how often we hear messages on 
work. But Lord, help us to step back, take a look at it, and to realize that you have put this in your word for us and that we can glean things from it. Again, no matter what our age, season of life, how that you have given work and how that we are to deal with that in the church of Jesus Christ. So help us now, Lord, as we consider this passage of Scripture, may we learn from it and do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me go back and reiterate, this was a serious ethical and moral sin problem. I'm not sure that you would see it like that, but it is. So serious, in fact, that not only does he spend this incredible amount of time. Now, you may not have noticed this was a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. It is only two verses shy of the instructions that Paul gave earlier about the coming of Christ. And so we know that it's important. Another reason we know it's important is, and I said, as an ethical and a moral sin problem, that he told the believers, get this, he told the believers at Thessalonica to keep away from people engaged in this sin. In other words, they were not to associate with these people. Don't support them, in other words. Don't enable them in their sin. Now, very quickly, this is a general principle that I think we need. By the way, in verse 14, it says, have nothing to do with them. Why? Why would you and I be told to keep away from those in our congregation that are not pulling their own load, that are not working, that are being idle and being busybodies. Two quick reasons. L let me just share these with you because they're very, very important. The, the first reason, and really the most important reason, or at least as, Im as important as the second, is so that we can restore these brothers now, it just says brothers. I'm not sure that there were any sisters that were involved in this, but we were told, we are told, to restore those who are caught in any sin. That's what it, Paul said in another book, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, including the transgression of idleness in the church, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's a good statement. That's one of the reasons that we, and we don't do it that often, but there do come times when we as a congregation, it goes through various steps, we, we have to exercise what is called church discipline. We're doing it for the good of those who are trapped in a sin. Hopefully, God will give them the insight to know what they are doing, and they will turn and repent. And, and by the way, a little bit later on, Paul said there's a really good motivation for doing that in this particular situation. If they don't work, they don't eat. It's not punishment. That's just plain old cause and effect. 
But there is a second reason why we need to keep away from brothers and sisters who are engaging in this sin. It's for the purpose of safety, your own safety. I want you to listen to this. This is very, very important as a principle. First Corinthians, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts good morals. And let me say this across the board, but I, I kind of start over here and I end up kind of falling on our students, younger people. Listen to me, the kinds of friends that you have will affect your relationship with God. Paul says don't associate with them. Keep away from this kind of person. Proverbs says it like this, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. So associate with wise people, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I, I used to do this illustration, and I struggled all week. Do I try to do this physically? I'm just going to tell you about it. Uh, in my younger days, when I was a youth pastor, I could pull it off, um, but I'm afraid I would fall down in my old age. I used to use an illustration that went with this, where I would put a chair right here. And, and this is a picture of why it's for your own safety that you do not associate, and I'll go even one step further, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so I would get a chair, and a lot of times what I'd do is stand in the chair, and then I'd have somebody else come up on stage. And I would say, now, I, I, me standing on the chair, I'm representing the Christian or the one walking in obedience. The other person down here is the one not walking in obedience. And then I would have that other person hold hands. And I would try to pull that other person up. That's many times what we try to do. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and associate with this other believer or this unbeliever with hopes that I can pull them up. And folks, it never, ever works. But then I would tell the other person, just try to pull me down. And just like that, I would be off the chair. Now, you see why I said I'm not going to try it at my advanced age. One of the reasons why I believe God tells us this through the Apostle Paul is to ask the question, and, and this is expansive, to whom are you listening? Students, to whom are you listening? Young adults, at work, to whom are you listening? With whom are you associating? Who are you seeking out? And that's why the Apostle Paul says this about this particular sin. Now, as I studied this, I began to think about the, the whole principle of separation from those in sin. In the church, that's where this is right now. Keeping away from, verse 15, have nothing to do with them. And I started thinking about different sins 
primarily found in the New Testament, in which we are told that we need to separate from a brother or a sister. Can you think with me about what some of those sins are? I wrote them down. Sexual immorality. If someone is engaged in ongoing, unrepentant sexual immorality of any kind, First and Second Corinthians, very, very clear, don't associate, separate yourself. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, we're told to separate ourselves from idolaters. False teaching, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We are told to separate ourselves from those who are divisive in Romans and in Titus. Ephesians tells us to separate ourselves from those involved, and this is kind of a catch-all, in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Now, all of those... I I think you could see and understand, but how many of you would have put laziness in that group? Refusing to work. Now, by the way, these people apparently from the, did, did you hear it when we were talking about it? Apparently, they had what they thought in their own minds were good reasons spiritual-sounding excuses. After all, we learn earlier that there were some who were teaching, well, the Lord's already coming back, or the Lord is so, He's coming back so soon. And there are some of you old enough to remember when in an earlier time, that was the mindset of certain people. I don't see it as much except in certain cultic groups, but when I was in college... And particularly on into the early 70s, there was this thing called the Jesus Movement. Anybody remember the Jesus Movement? And a lot of what drove the Jesus Movement was eschatology. And I literally knew people who said, well, why do we need to work? Jesus is coming soon. And this is exactly the same mindset as those who were in the church at Thessalonica. Jesus is coming soon. He's already started his coming. And so, therefore, we don't need to bother ourselves with work. We can just be spiritual and wait for him to come. They were so busy being spiritual, they had no time for ordinary things like work. And Paul says, in the strongest terms, don't be with them, don't support them, don't enable them in their sin. Now, by the way, we're not going to get through all of this this week. What I have tried to do, and you see it in your outline, is to to pull out some of the basic overview kinds of things that have to do with work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Why work? Why is it important to God? We need to understand that. And the next week we're going to come back and get a little bit more into the, if they don't work, they don't eat kinds 
of things that Paul says to do. So let's look. You can look at your outline. Three points here. I want to run through these points. You should live. Here's the first point growing out of verse 6, right out of there. You should live, you and I as believers, followers of Christ, should live according to, get this, the authoritative revelation of, of the Lord concerning work. Now, we need to live out of the authoritative word of the Lord for everything, but here Paul is really being razor sharp, and he's saying concerning work, you need to live out of what was revealed to you. Look at verse 6. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you walk in accordance with the tradition that you have received from us. That word tradition doesn't mean what we normally would think of. We're not talking about man-made tradition. We're talking about the tradition, look at this, given specifically by God through the apostles. Don't confuse it with man's traditions because man's traditions obscure God's Word. In fact, if you'll run back over to chapter 2, verse 15, you know, it's amazing how Scripture will interpret itself, will serve as a commentary. And so in chapter 2, verse 15, uh, look at how he uses the word again, but it's very, very obvious there what he's referring to. Chapter 2 of, um, uh, yeah, Second Thessalonians in verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, here's the key, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He was talking about the Scriptures. We know this, don't we? Live your lives according to God's infallible word. Now get this, and not according to worldly philosophies. Worldly ideologies. Worldly isms. And boy, there are a lot of them around us today. Amazingly, I, I have, it's at home, I wrote down a couple of things off of it, a poster. The Smithsonian Institution is divided into several museums, and in one of the museums, this poster is on the wall talking about several different things, but one of the things it talks about is work. Basically, what it's doing is saying, these things that you've thought were important in our American culture, no, they are not important. And here are some of the things specifically it talks about. Being on time. That's a cultural value that can be rejected. Self-reliance. Now understand this is a secular institution. It's basically saying, no, no, that, that's not good. The attitude that we need to be able to be self-reliant. Hard work is said to be something that is not a value of our culture. 
planning for the future. Delayed gratification. Look it up. All of these things on that poster are told to be these are cultural values that are not good anymore. Now, I'll get into this a little bit more next week, but there is a reason why that verse back there in in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, don't be deceived. There are a lot of isms that are out there and theories that are out there, but be directed. We must be guided by God's infallible word, the commands of, of God, in other words. The moral law of God. You know what the moral law of God is, don't you? It's the Ten Commandments, and we expand that. Now, now, by the way, the Ten Commandments has gotten a bad rap today. It really shouldn't. And, and here is a good example. I went way, way back years ago. It's out of print. There was a wonderful book by Josh McDowell called Right from Wrong. It basically took the Ten Commandments and showed how that you can go from the precept, which is negative, normally it's negative, and people kind of react to the negative, but it takes it through the positive principle and then on to the person of God. Well, let me just show you the illustration that he uses. This is out of the book by Josh McDowell. It's called The Test of Truth. Now, by the way, students, children, adults, all of us, this is so good to see why these things are important. Take any one of the commandments of God, a precept, just take any one of them. Let's take the Eighth Commandment, for example. Everybody know what the Eighth Commandment is? Thou shalt not steal. Okay, let's take that commandment. So, well, that's so negative. Let's put that in the positive. There is a principle that we ought to work hard with our hands, by the way, all of our lives, different seasons of life, we might do different things, but from the youngest to the oldest, we need to work hard to provide for our own and to have something to share. Does that sound familiar? Why? We're going to get to this in just a minute. I'm going to show you some things that maybe you hadn't thought of. Because the person of God why do you work? Because you want to be like God through Christ, don't you? Don't you? And I'm going to say this in a minute. God is the hardest working person that you can ever imagine. So when we look at something as simple as the Eighth Commandment, don't steal. Let's get the positive principle out of that. Work so that you can be a benefit to yourself and to others. Why? Because that's what God does. He works. Again, more next week, but let me go back. Let me review real quickly with a question. What is it called when you take something from another person that he or she has earned and, and, and that belongs to them and you take it because you feel like you're entitled to it. What's that called? What? Stealing. Yes. I thought of another word. Socialism. More next week. 
It's a teaser. So be like God in everything that you do, including your work. God loves your work. Why? Second point. Paul says this, you should imitate him and his co-workers in working, watch this, to provide your own living, paying your own way with hard work. Now, I'm I'm weaving through here, but listen, verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We gave you an example to imitate. We ate our bread by paying for it. With toil and labor, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to you, even though we had the right to be supported by you. So Paul says, imitate me like I imitate Christ. In another place, he said, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then Jesus said this. I I love how Jesus put this. My father is always working. Isn't that a comfortable thing? Last night while you were asleep, God the father was working. You didn't even know it. He he was working. Do you know in that awful, awful, awful situation that you're going through? Jesus said, God's working. Oh, by the way, Jesus said, and I am working as well. That that is an incredible, incredible thing. And, And the thought that occurred to me this week, I even prayed differently this morning in our little, by the way, we have a prayer group that meets over in the outer office. Just a few of us, we get together at 8.30 and we pray for, for the day and for the, for the ABF, for the Sunday school. We'd love to have you as a part of that. But based on the study that I did, I prayed differently today. And let me just ask you, what do you think of when you think about God? Listen to people pray and how they describe him. Holy, that's a good one. God, you are holy. God, you are majestic. God, you are sovereign. Oh, sovereign Lord. That's the way a lot of people start. That's why I like to start my prayers sometimes like that. He's loving. He's merciful. How many of you start your prayers with these words? Oh, hardworking God. So first of all, God works. God works. I believe he was working in eternity past. I believe that he'll keep working in eternity future. But there came a point in time, in eternity past, when time came into being. And in the beginning, God went to work. He's a hard worker. Think of all that he created in six days. Wow. Seventh day, God finished his what? work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God, without a doubt, is the hardest working being you can imagine. It's part of his nature. He's constantly working. Everything in the cosmos, literally in six days. You know, we have several of our staff members who are very, very creative. 
ever seen any of Rocky Hale's drawings? Sculpture, he's got a sculpture in his office of Martin Luther. It, it's really good. Another guy that you may not think of when you think of that kind of thing, Eric Schrock. If you have never seen one of Eric Schrock's birdhouses, John, I, th I think probably you, you've seen them, haven't you? They are a wonder to behold. There's such creativity. And I don't see Eric over there. How long does it take Eric to put together one of those birdhouses? What? Forever. Forever. Okay. <laughs> and God created everything in the cosmos in six days, including you. And you are a wonder to behold. God works, and God created man to work. See, we overlook this when we look at the very first words. So God created man in his image. And part of his image is he's a working God. Male and female, boom, there's your identity statement right there. He created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, the whole thing, and have dominion over everything that is created, every living thing. But that's not all. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man, man and woman, that he had formed. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work. God created us. You know what that means? Work is inherently good. God blessed them in their work. Work is inherently good. So what happened? There's pain in our work. Why? By the way, even Paul describes his work as a tent maker. How does he describe it? Toil and labor. And because Adam sinned, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. By the way, how many of you experienced thorns and thistles in your work last week? N not literally. I'm talking about deadlines, stress, long hours, cranky bosses. Boring meetings, <laughs> thorns and thistles. Have you ever wondered why there's pain in our work? While there's still good in our work, there's pain. By the sweat of our face, we will eat bread till we return to the ground. And oh, by the way, while there's pain in our work, it can still be a blessing if we have the right motive. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes your work, do all to the glory of God. Why? Because fr from him and through him and to him are all things, including work. To him be glory forever. So God wants to be glorified in all that we do, including our work. And Christ is the, the source and the means and the goal of everything. And let me just put this up here. You know, because of the cultural stuff happening today, I almost 
not for long, but I, I just came close to hesitating. This was written in a particular cultural context, but it applies to ev everything today. Do you realize that slavery is still real in the world today? Not here, thank God. But, but I, I'm, I'm stunned by this. What did Paul say to those people who are enslaved? enslaved? Now, there's another place where he says, if you, if you can possibly get out from under that yoke of slavery, do it. But here's what he says in Colossians. He mimics those words in Ephesians, slaves. Now watch. This is an application for everybody. I don't care what your age is. In everything, those who are your earthly masters, parents, bosses, parents, well, kids, parents aren't your masters. I remember when Katie was just a little girl. And we'd ask her to do something one time. And she, out of frustration, said to us, the only reason you had me was so I could be your slave. <laughs> you probably don't remember that, Katie. So let me just share with you probably what I said to you at that point. Don't do what we've asked you to do out of eye service. As people pleasers, just your mom and dad, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that he is working in your life from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You know, if, if we had this attitude in our work, it would transform I don't care how laborious it is. It would transform your entire attitude. It would elevate it knowing that God really is watching you. You see, work ethic is not simply a cultural value. Did you hear me? In America, we, that's a cultural value. At least it used to be. It's changing. It's a biblical value that God has given to us. Someone has said, work for the Lord, not for reward. That's not completely accurate, and this passage blows that out of the water. I'm talking about the Second Thessalonians 3. You work for the Lord, and you enjoy the reward, both temporal and eternal. Let's look at the last one very quickly, okay? You should do your work, uh, oh, excuse me, not just your work, your own work. This is a very personal statement. With quiet diligence, quiet is simply a word that means trusting, you're trusting the Lord. Minding your own business, this is all here. And not depending on others, but earning your own living. I'm combining now, as you see, verse 12 with 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, an excellent statement. We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do your own work quietly with your own hands, to mind your own affairs, to earn your own living so as to live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, I understand, and Paul makes in other places provision for those who cannot work. 
So please understand that. But folks, we, we are talking about some things that are so incredibly vital. Diligently seek the Lord in your work. And by the way, talk about elevating. I want you to write down if, or, or take a mental note. Your work that God has given you to do, as long as it's legitimate, God has given to you, it, it is legitimate, is your calling. Have you ever thought about that? If you love what God loves, you will love work. And some people have said, uh, time out, pastor, that's different for you because God has called you I, you know, I am sad that even the reformers couldn't correct this idea of the clergy and the laity, that only certain people who are called have a sacred calling if you're in full-time vocational ministry. That is an absolutely, hear me, unbiblical idea. Your work, your vocation is your calling. By the way, if you break it down, the word vocation, where does it come from? It's Latin. The word vocari or vo vo vocatus, it means to call. <laughs> your vocation is your calling. And that's why we reject the absolutely unbiblical idea that what I'm doing is sacred work and what you're doing, unless it's in ministry, is regular work. Folks, your calling given to you by God, whatever it is, is sacred if you're doing it as unto the Lord. full-time preacher's work is no more sacred than a plumber's work. In fact, the plumber may be even more sacred if he's doing it as unto the Lord, and the preacher is not. Now, by the way, this is from the youngest to the oldest. This was interesting. I'm not sure I ever saw this before. I'm going to close with these two scriptures and then application. There are only two places in the New Testament where we are told to make it our ambition to do something. Do you know that? Interesting. I would have thought there were a lot more. The first one is right here. Oh, let's go back. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. We've seen that before, haven't we? That's the first place it's used. Second place it's used is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Work with your hands as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need.
diligently seek the Lord. So let's apply this. By the way, this would make a great conversation starter for your lunch today, particularly if you're eating lunch with children, younger children or grandchildren. Children, what is your calling? I I just said everyone has a calling. Children, what is your calling? It's the sixth commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And the next time, children, and I'm talking about from from the very youngest, the very youngest, when that child is told, pick up your toys, clean your room. Your job, your calling is to obey until such a time as you are independent from your parents. Students, what is your calling? Well, it's the above until you become independent, of course. But also, and I'm going to apply this, the second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, because if you're students, you not only need to be studying the Word to show yourself approved, you need to be studying. That is your calling right now if you're a student. Paul, by the way, Paul unpacks all of this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're a soldier, what is your calling? To not get entangled with the affairs of the world, to give yourself to your calling. Athletes, if you're an athlete, what is your calling? To work hard, to train hard so that you might win the prize. And he goes on and on. Farmers, what is your calling? To work diligently the land so that you can enjoy the harvest. Close with this. One of the, uh, and it was Eric Schock handed me an article uh, on Thursday as I was wrapping up the sermon prep. And it was a, a beautiful little story about Hiram. You know, Solomon built the temple. He reigned for 40 years. Seven years it took him to build the temple, and he hired a guy from Tyre named Hiram, or Huram. And then later on, he writes all these proverbs, and I think he had Hiram in mind because of the excellence of Hiram's work in in, in developing everything. He was the overseer of the building of the temple most magnificent structure, all of it. And so Solomon wrote these words, do you see a man? Do you see a woman? Do you see a student? Do you see a child? Skillful, and that word doesn't just mean innate ability. It means diligent, to work hard, ready, timely. Do you see someone like that? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Some of you who are retired might say, you know, I worked hard all these years. I'm not sure I stood before a king. Might have felt like you stood before obscure men. Let me tell you something. According to what we've read today, you stood before the king. And you still do. So from the youngest, I'm not sure who the youngest is in here. And if you're listening, sometimes if you're drawing, maybe you're listening too. 
kids can multitask. Um, but let me tell you, from, from, the, from the youngest to the one who's getting ready to shuffle off this mortal coil, your work is not done. You stand before the king. That work will shift. Retirement, it shifts. And you just say, Lord, what is my work now? And you work with excellence until the day that you can't or the day that you draw your last breath. All of this is said to believers. If you're not a believer, you're, you're not going to get this. What did he just say? All that stuff about work? So if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, very simply, the gospel is God created you. He created you to work. He created you to glorify Him in all things, but you haven't. It's called sin. The penalty for sin is death, eternal death. But God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for sinners. And if you repent, turn away from playing God, acting as if you're God, and fighting against God, and if you turn by faith to Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross, you will, the Bible says, be saved. And I want to invite you, if you've never done that, to do that even today. Father, I praise You and thank You for Your Word, the wonder of it that You've given through the oral traditions and written letters that became our New Testament. God, it is filled with more than good advice. It is filled with things that will help us grow into the image of Jesus Christ. So I pray that today has been one more step in that direction. I pray that we would take what we have heard to heart. And I pray that if there is anyone who needs to receive Jesus Christ in salvation, that today would be the day. And that man, woman, student, boy or girl would do so even right now. So we thank you. And as we sing a, a song of, of praise and go out from this place, I pray that we would go knowing that our work is before you. Help us to do it with excellence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.